Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. We have a principle in Ayurveda of like increases like. And so the more positive choices we make, the more positive choices we can make and that we're inspired and, and strengthened to make. So it's really just about taking that first step and really um, following or committing to something that excites you, that motivates you, that's like, yeah, you know, I want to do that. And and that was the space in which I wrote the book was what was exciting me and what would what had, you know, propelled me on this journey. And I think the sun is such a great role model in all of this. Like for me, before I did any of the new lifestyle or diet choices or patterns that I've written about and shared about, even though I start my book with it, I didn't start there. I actually to start by uh, understanding a different way of being and of really looking toward the sun as being a role model. I remember my teacher, Acharya Shunya, had taught us about these special practices to do in the morning, which I've written about in chapter seven, to start your day in an inspired way. And it's all about connecting with the sun, because when we wake up before the sun, we're able to see that transition from darkness to light. And I think there's something so deeply healing to the human psyche about seeing that happen, because it's a reminder to us that like the darkness is temporary and it passes and gives way for the light of the sun and of the day, so too do these dark habits and destructive patterns and thoughts that we have only have a temporary existence. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell by cell with the power of cellular nutrition. As we age, our cellular function declines. Your regular multivitamins and minerals might not be enough to combat these age-related declines, and that's where Solgar Cellular Nutrition comes in. It's formulated with targeted cellular nutrients that work with your body's natural processes deep inside your cells to help you fight cellular decline and promote cell health across three benefit areas. It supports cell energy, repair, and vitality, muscle strength, and even glutathione production to help protect cells. So let's own our healthy aging narrative. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Again, that's CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Solgar Cellular Nutrition. We go cell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Anantha, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So, you know, I came across your story by way of uh, our mutual literary agent, Lisa Demona, um, and your publisher also sent me a copy of your book, which I had a chance to thumb through and, and you know, kind of look at and, and read and was, was really kind of intrigued by uh, a lot of the ideas in it, um, especially because it, you know, is something that provides us with an alternative to, to Western medicine for so many of the elements, the ailments that like, you know, are major issues in our lives. But before we get into all of that, I want to start by asking you, what did your parents do for a living? And how did that end up impacting the choices that you ended up making with your life and your career? My dad was on the business side. So he started out as an, a plastics engineer in the Detroit, Michigan, Ohio area. And then decided that he wanted to start a business. He met someone who had inspired him and encouraged him to go for that. And so he moved into a international shipping business, which he founded in, I think, 1995. So he's just been traveling around the world doing his <clears throat> entrepreneurial thing really since then. And my mom, on the other hand, was in the medical field. She was working as a medical laboratory assistant doing research and, you know, being behind the microscope. So she had a passion for science and for healthcare. And I think the path that I'm on definitely combines both of the career um, paths of my parents in the sense that I have also developed a great love for science through Ayurveda. And <clears throat> so much of it now is really about spreading that through entrepreneurship to really let more people know that this amazing option exists for healthcare. And I actually had to come to it through my own suffering. Like I had gone through years of eating disorders and digestive issues and a lot of trouble sleeping at night and just really wondered why Western medicine was telling me that I was in excellent health, but then feeling like, you know, all these symptoms are there, which are not indicating health at all. So what do I do about it? And I searched everywhere for 
you know, talk therapists to online chat forums to reading books in the library to, you know, trying all these different fad diets out. And really, I was searching for a way to be able to take control of my own health. And I was not satisfied with what I was finding out there. So it was really, you know, amazing to encounter Ayurveda through reconnecting with my roots and traveling back to India as a business student at NYU Stern. And I found that this knowledge of Ayurveda, just in living the Ayurveda lifestyle, eating the food, was already making me feel so much better and resolving all these issues that I had really searched everywhere for help with. And it was even more amazing to me to find out then six months into my study with my guru here in Northern California, uh, Acharya Shunya, that my own maternal grandfather was actually an Ayurveda healer, and he comes from a long lineage of Ayurveda healers on my mother's side of the family. I was aware that they were all practicing medicine or doctors or, you know, somehow involved in the healthcare field, but I actually had no idea that my maternal family was so deeply involved in Ayurveda until I had to really truly discover it through my own health challenges. Okay, so uh, also being Indian, there's no way I can't get out of this. We can get out of this conversation without me asking you. Um, <laughs> you know, how is it that you managed to avoid going down sort of the typical and conventional sort of a route that most Indian people are presented with uh, as kids? And I always remember this conversation that my dad had with one of my uh, uncles when he asked him. He's like, "Well, what does your son want to do? Does he want to be a doctor, lawyer, engineer?" And he said, "Right now, he's just interested in girls." I was like, "Smart kid." <laughs> Wow, that's such a clever answer. <laughs> I, I think he has his priorities straight, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> <laughs> that's really funny. Um, yeah, that's a great question. I sure did not know how to convey this to my parents, actually, for a long time. I, I really knew from the beginning that I wanted to make a difference. I knew that I wanted my life to have a purpose and to be meaningful. And to do that, I knew I wanted to give back in some way. That I always felt called towards, a path of service, a path of giving. And yet, I didn't know how that would manifest. I would look at people like Mother Teresa or Mahatma Gandhi and get really inspired by the lives and journeys and paths of service that they had lived. And I wanted to do something like be the executive director of the American Red Cross or something along those lines when I set out for, for college. For a while, I wanted to be a doctor, like a pediatrician. And then I did an internship at a pediatrician's office. And I decided, oh, no, I don't think I want to do that anymore. <laughs> and I'm glad I didn't do that because I think I was curious about health and healing. Mm -hmm. But hopefully or maybe not um, insightful enough to know that what was out there presently wasn't going to take me where I wanted to go, but it was along those lines. And then the vision evolved into just being like a social entrepreneur and combining the best of business with social work. So my plan for college was to apply to the Gallatin School of Individualized Study at NYU and do like a dual degree of my own making with business classes and social work classes and then really harness the best of business to be able to <clears throat> impart social change. So I had this whole plan and idea and then my dad said, well, 
you know, if you have any interest in business, then you might as well just apply to the Stern School of Business, get the degree, get some experience, and then you can always make a difference, you know? So at that time, I was like, okay, it sounds reasonable enough. And if I don't like it, I can always get out of it, you know, is, is what I figured. But if I wanted to know about business, it would be harder to get involved in it after I went to college. So I said, okay, sure, fine, I'll, I'll apply for the business program. And then when I got to the business school, I was really grateful that they opened up this social entrepreneurship scholarship program for people like me who actually wanted to combine diverse skills and interests to be able to make a difference in society. So I thought, oh, this is perfect. This is what I'm doing here at Stern, and this is what I will pursue. And then to try to explain that to my parents was definitely a struggle, and I really did struggle, you know, to try to explain what this was all about. And then, you know, that was okay to do something like social entrepreneurship, combine business, you know, with with something established, you know, like do work for an organization or something along those lines, socially responsible company. But then the spiritual inclination really developed more when I was in college in this very material New York City that really called me to to want to go deeper and to see what does this path of service really mean to me, you know, that is it just starting another organization? Because there's so many organizations that are all kind of doing the same thing. So do I just want to, you know, do yet another one? Or is there something more? And I think when I started the social entrepreneurship program, I had this question about social entrepreneurship that how do I really create pattern breaking change in a sustainable way? in my own life and then be able to scale those changes into the work that I want to do in the world. That was how they define social entrepreneurship, you know, pattern breaking, sustainable social change that's scalable. So I wanted to do it from the inside out. And that question, it really just led me on a quest that I didn't know where it would lead to, but it led me back home in many ways. It led me back to India. It made me really want to reconnect with my roots and then to discover all of the spiritual practices because I had needed them being stressed out as a college student in New York. But then I realized that there was something beyond just stress management that I was getting. I was getting a lot of insight into my own self and into, you know, really living this more meaningful life by role modeling it and by living it by example and really, you know, getting onto a path of health so that I could then help others to access that as well, rather than, you know, trying to help others, but then being unhealthy myself. So, so that was really what I wanted. It was very clear to me. And yet to communicate that to my parents was definitely a big challenge. So I I remember I went to India as soon as I graduated from college, I packed up my things and I was going to go for six months. And, you know, they were really, really upset. Like, what are you doing there? You know, where is this leading you towards? And then what is this yoga stuff, you know, and meditation? And, you know, then when I uh, started studying Ayurveda, I actually didn't even tell them that I was studying it for a good, you know, six to nine months into my studies because I was just so scared of what they were going to say. And, you know, they were not going to approve of it. And what would I do if they didn't approve of it? And so I had to really, you know, seek my own approval ultimately. And I had tested it out for long enough to see that this path truly was bringing me the kind of pattern breaking sustainable 
and scalable change that I really felt could then help a lot of other people. I had no idea how I would do that, but I just felt so convicted in it that this truly is delivering me something that none of these doctors, none of these therapists could actually help me find. And so I wanted to do whatever I could to stay on the path and then to be able to spread this knowledge somehow to others. I knew it would take some time before I would be able to do that because I still needed to study further myself and to really, you know, be the change myself before then helping others. And that was a challenge that my teacher had given me, you know, don't just try to work this from the outside in helping others with an Ayurveda lifestyle and diet and all, but you really have to live it. And I want you to, you know, be healed from what you've gone through. So that way you really can be a role model. So I found this reinforcement of my initial intention. And, you know, that my parents have been amazing, though, they've really come along, like after I stood my ground, and I said, No, you know, Ayurveda is giving me something that no one else could give me. And I'm sticking with it. Then two weeks later, and we had quite a quite a dialogue with my parents, but then two weeks later, <laughs> my dad actually came to California and he came to a class with me about Ayurveda. And, you know, he and my mom have just been coming to more and more classes over the years that then I've been teaching. And they've been incredibly supportive with the whole journey of the book publishing. And, you know, now they're just gifting the book to everyone that they know and telling them all about Ayurveda. And I never ever thought that my same dad would be standing in a yoga class in Ohio where they live and talking about the benefits of Ayurveda and how everyone should adopt, you know, the Ayurveda way. And yet that's what's happened. And they've just been really, really incredible. And I think in many ways, it's, it's been such a coming home to be able to be on this journey and then to know about my grandfathers. I really feel like they're supporting me um, from wherever they are. And it's brought our whole family together and it's it's just been really fun you know and, and really a great testament to what happens when you follow what feels true to you you know like and it doesn't matter so much what other people think but really just being true to myself and honoring what felt right to me I think was such an important lesson and I did that without you know, an attachment that anything would happen. I stopped having expectations and then I stopped having judgments also because I think somewhere, you know, after having all these like arguments with my parents about what path I was going to take and how it would unfold and what I would do with it and all of these things, I was like, oh, they don't like this. They don't, they, because, you know, they said things that made me feel like they were not so interested. And so then I just have to totally let go of it and just be following it myself, not trying to impose it on anyone, but just being very true to it, my own self. And that's then what I did. And then suddenly they were asking me to start coming to the classes and asking me to be a part of the things that I was doing with Ayurveda without me saying anything, but just because it was helping me so much. And I think they could see that. So it's it's really been um, very amazing. And I feel so blessed with all of their support that they've come through, you know, and uh, and now it's it's such a blessing to to all of us. And I feel really grateful for that. You know, the, there's so many things uh, in what you just said that really kind of struck my attention. One was this idea of pattern breaking change. Um, one, you know, why do people get stuck into negative or self-destructive patterns and how do people break patterns in their own life? 
based on you know your experience with this that's a great question i think it, you know patterns are part of human nature like we're habitual creatures so it, in a way pattern breaking wasn't enough it was a good start to know that I had suffered enough and I think that's sometimes what it takes you know to make a change is that you're like oh my god I can't do this anymore so there's some kind of wake-up call or just you know a point where you come to terms with like oh I don't think I want to do this anymore and I don't know that I had it in such a dramatic way, but there's definitely been those moments of recognition and, and awareness. And maybe just being a part of that program actually was, was the beginning of that for me, because here I was being invested to help others with, with creating this pattern breaking change. And yet I just was very aware that I was not really in a place of being truly healthy myself. And I had a lot of self-destructive habits and patterns and I wanted to be able to break those. But then what I realized is that I actually needed to change the patterns. So it was more of a pattern changing, um, approach. And I think with Ayurveda, and the knowledge of how to live a healthy life that Ayurveda teaches really as its fundamental um, principle and as its fundamental offering, I was able to learn some time-tested patterns to really live in harmony with myself and with nature and to live a beneficial life for myself and, and for others. And that's the definition of Ayurveda, actually, is to teach you how to distinguish between those actions which bring you joy versus those which bring you sorrow. And the actions that bring joy are those that benefit not only you, but, but others. And so there is this whole a socially responsible approach to life right there in the definition of health in Ayurveda. That to me was really, really incredible. And I think, you know, it's it's just been a matter of committing to that then, you know, like how to come out of self-destructive patterns is something that I think starts with a an intention, or we call it a sankalpa in Sanskrit, which is like a mindful resolution. So it's not like a New Year's resolution where, you know, we always like resolve to eat better and exercise more and all these kind of generic things that we also read about online and in magazines and things that are tailored to that for that time of the year. But, you know, for it to be like a sankalpa, you really have to reflect on it and contemplate and think, you know, what do I really want to commit? to and can I do that and you know spend some time feeling what feels right to you you know like in terms of a specific pattern because I think to change all of our self-destructive behaviors in one go is very daunting <laughs> you know and so we want to start small start with just one thing and that's what I say to people also with my book is that it's really a collection of 108 different healthy patterns, you know, or healthy uh, lifestyle choices that you can make. And yet don't feel like you have to do all 108. <laughs> They've all helped me, yeah. you know, but I didn't do them all at once. Like I, I came to it one at a time. And so I think the way that this is designed is that you can open up any page and just get a little bit of inspiration for adopting one new thing into your life that will surely help you and will then have a ripple effect, you know? So then when you actually 
put these new patterns or habits into practice, it's so positive that it reinforces you to want to do more. We have a principle in Ayurveda of like increases like. And so the more positive choices we make, the more positive choices we can make and that we're inspired and, and strengthened to make. So it's really just about taking that first step and really um, following or committing to something that excites you, that motivates you, that's like, yeah, you know, I want to do that. And and that was the space in which I wrote the book was what was exciting me and what would what had you know propelled me on this journey. And I think the sun is such a great role model in all of this. Like for me, before I did any of the new lifestyle or diet choices or patterns that I've written about and shared about, even though I start my book with it, I didn't start there. I actually. Had to start by uh, understanding a different way of being and of really looking toward the sun as being a role model. I remember my teacher, Acharya Shunya, had taught us about these special practices to do in the morning, which I've written about in chapter seven, to start your day in an inspired way. And it's all about connecting with the sun, because when we wake up before the sun, we're able to see that transition from darkness to light. And I think there's something so deeply healing to the human psyche about seeing that happen, because it's a reminder to us that like the darkness is temporary and it passes and gives way for the light of the sun and of the day, so too do these dark habits and destructive patterns and thoughts that we have only have a temporary existence. The light is always there within us. The the illumination, the positive, you know, aspects of ourselves are always within and we just have to discover them. They're just awaiting us to to notice them. And if you think about the sun you know, it shines irrespective of anything. It doesn't say I'm just going to shine on this person or that person or only if they give me this or if I get that approval or validation or, you know, something like how we do, right? Like I'll do this if I get the approval or get the little cookie of satisfaction from it. But the sun is just shining because that's its job is to shine. And it does so irrespective of anything. And it's full of light and illumination. It's a symbol of health and and the soul in Ayurveda and inner power, illumination, creativity, knowledge, all of these things that we're looking for are reflected by the sun. And so by, you know, starting to really embrace those qualities and pouring water to the sun, connecting with all the five great elements in the morning was such a great way to start to connect with my own willpower and my own strength and my own, you know, inherent power within to actually make these changes and to start to change my life. And so the first thing that I would do when I would wake up in the morning, and I think this really was the seed of everything else that would follow, was I look at my hands and there's a beautiful uh, tradition that Acharya Shunya has taught from the Vedic tradition that we believe that abundance, power, creativity, knowledge, inspiration, that all of this lives in our own hands, that abundance lives at my fingertips, that the power of knowledge lives in the palms of my hands, and at the base of my hands lies the ability to make a difference, to really change my own life, my health, and to be able to live a life of benefiting others. And so as I look at my hands every morning, I affirm that all of this 
lives within me all of the <clears throat> happiness all of the security all of the the joy that i'm seeking in these external things actually is right here in my own hands and i have then the power to be able to make changes and to be able to to carve out the kind of life that i want to live to be able to write my own script and as i look at my hands and affirm that it's setting the day in such a positive tone and in such an uplifting way. They say in the Upanishads, one of the Vedic texts, that when you sow a thought, you reap an action. When you sow an action, you reap a habit. When you sow a habit, you reap a character. And when you sow a character, you reap a whole destiny. So literally, your health, your whole life, everything that we're looking for is right here in our own hands. And as I set this you know, is the first thought that I think upon waking up, looking at my hands, even before I look at anything else, it really just gives me that inspiration and that positive energy to then go and, and break through these destructive tendencies or the, the habitual, you know, things that come, because that's just the nature of the mind. That's what the sages have said, that the mind is just, you know, having all these default conditioning that have come from many um you know, uh, previous uh, lifetimes even of of things that are then there for us to resolve. So the more we can build our willpower and really, you know, proactively work towards manifesting a different kind of lifestyle, different kinds of patterns, the more we can really, you know, change our lives in a way that becomes healthy and sustainable for not only ourselves, but for others too. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell by cell with the power of cellular nutrition. As we age, our cellular function declines. Your regular multivitamins and minerals might not be enough to combat these age-related declines, and that's where Solgar Cellular Nutrition comes in. It's formulated with targeted cellular nutrients that work with your body's natural processes deep inside your cells to help you fight cellular decline and promote cell health across three benefit areas. It supports cell energy, repair, and vitality, muscle strength, and even glutathione production to help protect cells. So let's own our healthy aging narrative. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Again, that's CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Solgar Cellular Nutrition. We go cell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Wow. You know, I get up early. You've just given me an incentive to get up before the sun rises. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
you know, I, I want to go back to something that you said earlier um, mm-hmm. about letting go of judgments and expectations, which which I think is is you know fascinating, particularly because we both come from a culture. I don't know about you know what your experience with this has been, but I feel like it's one of tremendous judgment and tremendous expectations from the time you you know grow up till now. And I only know this being a thirty nine year old who's not married, which is probably the bane of my mother's existence. <laughs> so I'm very curious. Um, I mean, how do people let go of judgments and expectations? I think it starts with the judgments and expectations we have of ourselves, you know? So the more I can practice letting go of self-critical thoughts, you know, those default kind of thought patterns that come in and be like, oh, you know, like I'm not good enough or you know just I'm not able to do what I need to do or you know gotta like check this off the list or you know do all of these things that will get me approval from others the more there's like open space to just really you know be more compassionate towards myself and I think as I'm more compassionate towards myself and I'm repeating these positive affirmations you know and and generating that whole um, energy of positivity, then it's just natural to extend that out to others because we're all connected, you know, and the, the spiritual way of understanding oneness is that we're all part of the same substratum, you know, we're all made out of the same stuff. We're all really human at the end of the day. And so the more I have a healthy or loving relationship with myself, the more I'm able to naturally extend that to others because I can see myself in other people. And so it really, I think, begins within. And then, you know, if I'm not beating myself up or I'm not having all these kind of negative talk thoughts to myself, then I'm a lot less likely to extend those to others. And just more open to what may happen, you know, like, because before I'd have been like, oh, like my mom, my dad, they would never, you know, want to do any of these things because they had judged it initially, like, oh, it's so weird. Why are you doing that? You know, like eating all these different things. And why don't you just eat the normal, you know, stuff that we eat and what's going on and stuff. And so if I were to then just like combat that with a lot of judgments back, like, oh, they'll never understand, you know, blah, blah, blah. Then there's like a closure there's no more that can happen and so just by doing it myself while you know not forcing it upon anyone else not having the expectation that anyone else should do what I'm doing or you know trying to to get that to happen it just left things open you know like I decided I would honor myself by following this and then I was happy as a result and then I was not close to the possibility that change or inspiration to live healthy is possible for anyone you know so then I think just like staying open within by um by just you know building up the positivity it really makes a difference and not not caring so much also about what is coming from the outside so just really being strong from within Mm. and affirming you know that whatever our path looks like is perfect for us you know that this is what it is, you know, and let me make the most of it. Maybe there's a reason why uh, my life is looking like this and what can I learn from from this and how do I make the best of what is right now? 
you know, and then just really stay in the moment with it. Because I think that's another thing with expectations and judgments and especially expectations that we have. It's often about a future outcome, you know, something that is to come based on things that have happened in the past or that are considered the norm, right, for other people. And so the more I can stay in the present moment, you know, and and really practice accepting what is right now, right here, and even just using the five senses to do that. Like really, like what am I seeing right now? What am I hearing? What am I smelling? And even like closing my eyes to do that for a moment. It just has a way of grounding me in the present moment. And even like smelling a flower is a profound thing to do to come into that present moment and really be in a state of uh, surrendering to the now, you know, and not kind of going into these projections or expectations or wishes for something yet to come, but just, you know, smelling a flower, so simple. And yet it's very grounding, even at a Um, a physiological level, it gives us a lot of stability because there are considered to be five great elements in the Ayurveda tradition. There's space, air, fire, water, and earth. And when you smell a flower, the sense of smell is connected with the earth element. So it's grounding and it's stabilizing both physically as well as emotionally and psychologically. And so even doing something like that, just smelling a flower, it just is an invitation to come back into the present moment and to experience, you know, like a satisfaction in the moment that doesn't depend on anyone else or anything else manifesting in a way that we would want it to, you know, be. And just, I think, doing more of that kind of um, practice when the mind wants to go and, and judge or build up expectations or wishes or desires or um, or like some dissatisfaction at something that didn't happen. It's just so helpful to, to do that. And I think nature there has a lot to teach us because nature is always, you know, changing and evolving and having so much for us to learn from, you know, just observing nature. That's actually how Ayurveda came is by the the sages spending their whole lifetimes just simply observing nature. And their insights are what got recorded into the texts of not only Ayurveda, but also the path of yoga and meditation and, and spirituality. All is based on those observations of nature and how we can really harmonize with nature and harmonize with the best of our own inner nature. Because we believe that we're all basically, you know, filled with with this light and with compassion and with joy and that that's within each person. So the more we see that in ourselves, the more we can see that potential for um, for inspiration and joy and knowledge and wisdom to then be able to grow in, in another and that it's all, you know, there somewhere within us. It's just that some of us are more or less connected with that, but we all have it within us. Well, I mean, that explains a lot about why I feel the way I do when I get out of the ocean now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that that's always my reset to get back to a state of presence and it, it works every time. So uh, not surprising. Um, 
I want to start doing a bit more of a deeper dive into, you know, the daily practices that people can incorporate into their lives. And I want to start, I really, the, first, the place I want to start in particular, that's a, a, you know, personal interest to me is sleep. Um, because it's something that I, I've struggled with and I know what a profound impact good or bad sleep can have on every other area of your life. So I'm curious um, what your work and, and, you know, what Ayurveda has shown about effective sleep. Yeah, so sleep is really important. It's one of the three sub-pillars of health in Ayurveda. So food, sleep, and sex are all three of those. And sleep really resets the body. So digestion is really the key to health in Ayurveda. That's how we're able to determine the state of a person's health is by their state of digestion, which you see through the elimination. And ideally that comes every day in the morning, with a certain consistency and other things that are described in the book. And the way to actually have a healthy elimination is by sleeping at night, because as you're sleeping, you're body is recharging the organs that are then digesting all of your food as well as the information and experiences that you've had during your day. So it's really important actually between the hours of like 10 a.m. 10 p.m. to you know at least 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. that we're in bed sleeping because the three bio forces that Ayurveda explores Vata, Pitta, and Kapha, which are a combination of the five great elements Vata being a combination of air and space, Pitta being fire and water, and Kapha being earth and water are active at different times during the day. So they're also active at different times during our lives and different times during the year. So these bio forces are very, very interesting and they govern the functions that are happening in the body and in the mind at certain times. So that's why If you wake up early, for example, it's not only incredibly uplifting for the mind because that time is really charged with a a spiritual quality called sattva, but it's also physiologically helpful to be able to eliminate your bowels in the morning, to be able to even physically get up. If you get up between 4 to 6 a.m., it's easier because the principle of movement as represented by vata dosha and the air and space elements is active in the universe and then if you wait to get up between any time between 6 to 10 a.m then the kapha dosha which is the force of stability the earth and water elements it becomes active so you can imagine that it's hard to get up if this force of stability is in the atmosphere so you know, then it's not till 10 a.m. that the force of uh, transformation or pitta dosha, the fire and water, becomes active. And that's why, you know, if you sleep in, you usually will get up by 10 or so because then it's time to get going and you feel full of ideas and energy. And, you know, that's a great time to make good decisions and things like that. And then the vata dosha, the principle of movement, again, becomes active in the atmosphere from 2 p.m. to 6 p.m. So that's a time of, again, inspiration, but it could be why we get spacey during the day. And it's a good time to take a little break, do a little lighter work, more creative work, um, take a snack like raisins or something warm with 
some sweetness and, and a little bit of salt would be really helpful. And doing breathing exercises and things. And then again, between 6 to 10 p.m., this kapha dosha or the principle of stability becomes active once again. So because it's keeping us in bed, if we, you know, wake up between 6 to 10 a.m., it's not so helpful there. We want to actually work against it to be able to stay in balance. But in the evening, it's great, actually, if you can work with that and sleep by 10 p.m., because then you are able to wake up, you know, by 6 a.m., and then it's easier for you to wake up. You have more energy during the day. Your body has an opportunity to reset, because from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m., the force of transformation and the force that really regulates metabolism, pitta dosha, fire and water, is active. So if we're sleeping from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m., then all of these organs, like our kidneys, our liver, our stomach, our gallbladder, all of these organs get a chance to rest and recharge, and that helps us to physiologically feel better because those are the organs that are involved with the process of digestion. And so when we are able to sleep, you know, by 10 p.m., it's the best thing that we can do or, or at the latest, you know, by 1030 p.m., because that will keep us in a very healthy and harmonious rhythm with nature. And some of the ways that Ayurveda recommends to get better sleep are to um, oil your feet so in the Ayurvedic texts, there's actually three places on in the body that are recommended that you apply warm sesame oil to, one being your feet, the second being your ears, and then the top of your head, like the crown of your head. And this is really helpful because a lot of times insomnia or when we have a lot of difficulty falling asleep at night is due to a lot of the principle of movement right the air and space in the mind which or even the fire and the the analysis and thinking and you know all of that it gets reactivated from 10 p.m to 2 a.m so while in the daytime that's the perfect time to make your decisions and do things that require analysis and that you want to be really sharp for if you are up past 10 p.m that force will come back in again. And so if you're sleeping, it allows you to digest your food really well. But if you're not sleeping, that will motivate you to want to go pay your taxes, to organize your closets, to, you know, analyze things. And people get that rush of, you know, feeling really productive at night because it's quiet and you can focus and that energy again is there. But it deteriorates the health, you know, if you stay up during that time. So we actually want to be sleeping and we want to do something that will be opposite of the causes of trouble sleeping, which are too much activity of motion and fire in the sense of intellect, you know, and thinking and analyzing and all of the mental um, uses of, of digestion, right? Like digesting information. So what was recommended for helping you sleep is this practice of oiling. And oil has the qualities of earth and water, so it has that grounding, stabilizing quality that helps you to rest and to get really good quality sleep. So this is something that I've been 
teaching, especially to people who are working as staff members in prisons and probation departments, as well as corporations and entrepreneurs who are feeling really stressed in Silicon Valley and other places, and they've tried it. And it makes such a big difference. It's so simple, but you just warm up this little bit of oil and you apply it, you know, and you give yourself like a foot massage before you go to sleep and like spend some time with it, maybe five minutes or so. And it's just your quiet time with yourself. And as you do that, it just builds that stabilizing, grounding, soothing energy to be able to help you to sleep better. It's like to fall asleep and then to be able to sleep better at night. And you get really good quality rest and all of these uh, seats of vata, like places where the air and space element live, the feet, the ears, and the head get calmed. And so you are able to really feel so much better. And we did pre and post surveys for a probation department pilot program and found that there was actually a 47% reduction in aches and pains and 46% better quality sleep reported by the participants in that program. And I think one of the main things that they, a lot of them had started doing was this practice of oiling um, before they went to bed because it didn't take too long and it really helped to relieve their stress and, you know, set their minds at ease because you want to really like calm your mind down from all the activities of the day, not be on your cell phone, not be on the computer or watching TV or taking too much input, you know, even talking on the phone, if you can help it between you know, like 8 to 10 p.m., you want to like actually unplug so that you can start to get your mind ready to prepare for sleep and to go into a mode of, of restoration and rejuvenation. And so one of the best things that you can do is to apply this oil. Wow. Okay. So I want to talk about the two other pillars. You mentioned food and sex, but I want to do sex first <laughs> okay. um, because I'm very curious what your work has shown about that. Yeah, sure. So what exactly would you like to know about that? Um, I mean, what does Ayurveda tell us about sex, sexual urges, all of the things that, you know, I mean, you mentioned these three things as pillars. So like what, you know, like what is the application of it in our lives, I guess, is where I want to take it. Yeah. So in terms of sex, everything is cyclical in Ayurveda. So just like the animals have their natural cycles where they mate in certain seasons and then they're uh, abstinent in certain seasons, Ayurveda recommends different times of the year more than others for sexual activity because sexual activity, just like exercise, requires a certain amount of exertion and energy and you know, you need a lot of strength for it. And the time of year where we have the most strength and stamina for sexual activity would be in the winter season, because that's the time of the year where the digestion is naturally strongest, because there's an internal homeostasis process going on where the coldness of the atmosphere is calling, causing your internal heat or internal um, digestive fire. We imagine the digestion to be like a fire in Ayurveda to be naturally increased to compensate for what's going on outside. And then on the reverse, in the summertime, because there's so much heat outside, your digestive fire gets weakened 
it's actually trying to keep you cool inside. So it's not as strong, which is why you don't really feel as hungry, you know, in the summertime. And then if you're not able to eat a lot or digest a lot, then you don't get the, the physical strength as much to sustain you for, for exercise or sex or even traveling. All of these things are requiring quite a bit of energy and strength. So that's why Ayurveda recommends the winter season and the spring season as the the best times to be more sexually active and then to be less active in the summer and the fall seasons when there's more heat uh, in the atmosphere. And then we also look at the times of day for for it. So because you know, we just went through a little bit of the Ayurveda clock. We would want to be working with that energy of stability um, for the for sex to be most um, like least depleting for the body. So the best time for it would be in the evening, right before sleeping, because then your body has a chance to recharge and and restore itself. And the uh, you know, sexuality is really interconnected with immunity in Ayurveda. So when we are not sexually active, we're able to rebuild a lot of our immunity, which is called ojas. And we're able to use that sexual energy for creativity, for, um, for you know, building even like a healthy complexion and a lot of like resistance to diseases and and different things that can happen to the body physically. So it's it's something that is believed to actually live in every cell of the body, not just in the reproductive organs, but our our sexual tissue actually lives everywhere and it's expressed as as the best of our food or our digestion that sexual tissue is the 13th of the the tissues that are created by our food and then it directly you know builds up our our immunity so we really like to protect our immunity or our ojas and be more mindful then of when when we have sex how much and um and just of how tired we may feel afterwards. And what's recommended after having sex is to drink a recipe called spiced milk. And actually, this is a really good one for all three, food, sleep, and sex, because spiced milk is really delicious. First of all, you make it with some sugar and uh, milk and turmeric and cardamom and you can add other spices as per the season and you cook them you help them boil uh, saffron also is a good one really throughout the year and you you cook all of these spices with the milk and you can mix water with it if you need to and when it's cooked and warm, even people like me who thought they're lactose intolerant can actually digest it. And it helps to immediately rebuild the ojas or the immunity or the um, the sexual tissue that gets lost in the sexual act. So you get to immediately, you know, build up your, your strength afterwards. And then it also helps you to fall asleep and to sleep really well at night. So it's a perfect thing to have afterwards. And then if people are having trouble eliminating the balls and suffering from a lot of constipation in the morning, then it also helps you, you know, to, to, to do that. So it's really like great for all three and, um, and Ayurveda recommends 
having this afterwards or having, you know, a warm bath and, and taking in the moonlight after the sexual act, because then that also is restoring the body, whereas the, the sexual act, exercise, traveling, all of this are using a lot of the fire in the body and they're building up heat mm-hmm. in us. So we want to then do things to kind of cool off afterwards and that cooling off will then ensure that our immunity really stays strong so that we can enjoy sex as much as possible and also not get too worn out from it Mm, wow so um we kind of touched on food i'm curious i mean it seems to me i feel like i'm hearing this sort of theme over and over again in my life and it's like you know everywhere i go there seems to be signs of this that food seems to have this profound impact on every area of your life um, and I'm curious, uh, I mean, can you give us sort of a general overview of, you know, from an Ayurvedic perspective, what is actually considered healthy eating? Yeah, food is so important. It really is. It becomes your mind in a sense. I mean, I noticed that my, the quality of my mind changes based on the food that I eat. And the food becomes our like our thoughts and the food that we eat becomes you know, such an important part of our health and all of the tissues of the body. So healthy eating in Ayurveda is really a matter of digestion. So we actually say that you are not only what you eat, but you are actually what you digest. And unfortunately, you're also what you don't digest. So it's really important to be able to digest our food. And The way to know if something is healthy for you is if you're able to digest it. If you have, you know, an elimination in the morning that's like a solid enough consistency, but it's easy to eliminate. It's, you know, not having too much of a smell and it would ideally like float in the toilet and, you know, you feel satisfied afterwards. So if that's happening, then that means you know, that your digestion is really strong and that the food that you're eating is supporting you. And if it's not, then actually the first practice I've recommended in the book is to make a shift from eating cold raw foods to having warm cooked, ideally gently oiled foods. This one thing by itself, if you do nothing else, but you just make this shift, even if you're eating out somewhere, will make a huge difference in your digestion because the digestion is imagined to be like a fire. So things that are cold, like cold water, cold yogurt, cold raw foods, salads, even the the way they're normally made will extinguish that fire. So we want to make sure that that fire stays warm and that it stays strong. And the way to do that is by putting in substances like food and water that are warm and that are ideally cooked. Because when you cook the food, then it's like the the heat of the stove pre-digests the food for you. So your own digestion or digestive fire, if you can imagine it that way, it doesn't have to work as hard. So that's why we really prefer that. And you can still enjoy salads, you know, but we would just make some modifications to it. Like maybe try steaming the lettuce and some of the vegetables instead of just having it raw. Or if nothing else, you can incorporate some of the Ayurvedic spices that I've shared about in the book with like cumin seeds or, you know, you can take black pepper, ginger, you can add some of these things to your salads and that will definitely help 
to increase the fire element, which helps you then digest your food. And then when you're able to digest your food, then you actually benefit more from it because the food, like the body basically is imagined to have what are called srotas or channels through which this food travels and then delivers nutrients to the different cells and organs and tissues of your body. So if you think about the laws of physics, heat is responsible for expansion and coldness causes constriction. So you can see that even if you wash your dishes, right? Like if you use warm water, the residue on the plates and the the bowls and everything goes away a lot easier and faster than if you use cold water, it just sticks more. So our body is like that too. And we want to keep, you know, a healthy amount of heat, not too much, but a healthy amount that allows the the food and the nutrients to really travel in a smooth way to to get to where they need to go without any obstruction. And when that happens, then, you know, our digestion is in a balanced state. And we can check that through our morning elimination. It no longer has to be the bane of our existence, but it's actually like a very exciting event of the morning where it's like, okay, yes, all systems are, are going smoothly. Life is good you know, and you progress along with your day. So, um, so these are just some simple things that you can do. And then the book has a lot of recipes that are very helpful for your digestion, including some of Ayurveda's superfoods that you can eat things like, uh, ghee, clarified butter, mung dal, um, spiced milk recipe is definitely a, a superfood made out of cow's milk, ideally with cows that are treated well. And, you know, there's several other ideas for that in the book that I learned from my teacher, Chef Sanjay. Wow. This has been really, really interesting and uh, thought-provoking, as I, as I kind of expected it would be. I mean, I was very curious about it. Um, so I, I really appreciate you coming in and sharing all of this with our listeners. So I have one last question for you, which is how we finish all of our interviews at The Unmistakable Creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? think what makes something or someone unmistakable is, you know, that it lasts in the past, present, and future. The way that we know if something is true, you know, and it cannot be mistaken, is that it remains the same in all states of time. Mm. Wow. Well, this has been, as I said, really, really thought-provoking. And uh, where can people learn more about you, your work, and the book? You can visit my website, Whole Yoga and Ayurveda. And it's just Whole Yoga, like W-H-O-L-E, yoga-ayurveda, A-Y-U-R-V-E-D-A.com. And then if people wanted to learn more about Ayurveda or wanted to study more about spirituality, then you can also visit the school where I've learned and I also teach um, and continue to study with my teacher. And that's Vedika Global, which is V-E-D-I-K-A global.org. And we have classes here in San Francisco Bay Area where I live and also online. Hmm. Awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, 
instructive, maybe even heartwarming. Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World, and this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.